Father God, we thank you today for Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Father, that in all things we can put our trust and confidence in you and that you've promised us in your word that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And so today as we've come together, Father, we want you to be honored. We want you to be lifted up. We want you to be glorified. We thank you, Father, that in your presence we can have fun. In your presence is fullness of joy. But Father, in your presence there's healing and deliverance. And so we just ask you to bless this time as we share together with your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and receive the truth that you have for us today. And we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, <clears throat> I want to talk to you today a little, just a little bit about the purpose of worldly philosophy, because what we see around us every single day, what we're encountering is we're encountering this philosophy that this world is trying to embed us with. The thing that we need to understand is every one of us, whether we realize it or not, we live our life according to a certain philosophy. We have some kind of a philosophy in our life. Let me give you some definitions. And In philosophy, it's more than a study in college or in a university. It's really what we believe about a particular thing. <clears throat> Every one of us, we have it. Basically, philosophy is a set of beliefs, ideas, and values by which we live. And so we have these beliefs, we have these ideas, we have these values by which we live our life. And uh, we can say, well, I don't have any philosophy. Well, yes, you do. Because you're living according to something. So all of us, we need to realize we live according to something. In fact, what our philosophy is, is a lens by which we see the world, how we interpret what we see in the world. And, you know, it's that philosophy that causes us to think the way that we do, causes us to do what we do. And that's why the Word of God is so important to us, because it establishes within us a belief system. And outside of that belief system, we're subject to everything that the world wants to throw our way. We see it at this time of the year, that Christmas, which is all about Christ, is basically left out of many people's lives, out of the picture. You know, because it doesn't fit into their idea, it doesn't fit into their philosophy, and so they live their life differently from that. Let me read this scripture from Colossians, the second chapter in the eighth verse. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And, you know, so what's going on in our minds is going to determine whether we live a life of victory or whether we live a life of defeat. You know, I was talking about this the other day up at the, well, I don't remember when I was sharing it. But I was talking about the two houses that Jesus shares the parable about, that the one was built on, on sand, the other one was built on a solid rock. And uh, <clears throat> we look at that, and it says that when the storms came, the house that was built on the sand, it was totally destroyed. It fell apart, it was ruined. The other house was built on the rock, and it stood. The thing that I want us to see is that the storm came against both houses. 
And our philosophy, our belief in life is going to determine the things that we encounter, whether it's going to be victory or whether it's going to be defeat. Listen to this out of Colossians, the second chapter, the eighth verse. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fancies, and plain nonsense. Following tradition, or following human tradition, men's idea of the material crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregards the teachings of Christ the Messiah. And that's what we see so much around us as we, we see people ignoring the teachings of Christ. You know, uh, when I was first saved and I first got it, began to get a hold of the Word of Faith message, I had this, this thought, this belief, because I believed that the Word of God was so powerful that nothing, absolutely nothing, could cause the Word of God to not work. But then one day I ran across the passage. And when I ran across this passage, it just about blew me away because I, I, I couldn't believe that it was in the Bible. Because it went totally contrary to that which I believe that nothing could cause the Word of God to not work. But then I came across this passage, and it comes from Mark, the seventh chapter and 13th verse. And it's talking about the traditions of man. And it says, making the Word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. And so what this is saying is man's philosophy, man's traditions, what man looks at, it literally will cause the Word of God to be ineffective in our life. Not that the Word isn't powerful, but you know, <clears throat> we have to be willing to cooperate with the Word. We have to be willing to accept and receive what the Word of God says. And so it says the traditions of man... And King James Version says the traditions of man causes the word to be ineffective. And so we see around us, we see the word of God not accomplishing what it ought to. It's, it's ineffective. And why? Because oftentimes of what we believe prior to. Because of the tradition. We think of tradition and tradition is something that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. But you know what? A tradition can just simply something that be something that we've established in our life. You know, for many in our country, in this nation, the tradition of Christianity was passed down from generation to generation. But what we find in this generation, we find them established in a new tradition. It's no longer established and based upon the Word of God. It's based upon feelings, it's based upon emotions based upon experience, but it's not based on the truth of the Word of God. And so we see that the traditions of man nullifies the Word of God. Well, you know, I believe in the Word of God. I believe that it's truth. 
But you know, the things that go on around us, whether we like it or not, they begin to affect us. They do. They influence us. And the traditions of others has, it has an impact upon our life. Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep your heart. Keep your heart. Or what it's really saying is, guard your heart. Protect your heart. And here where it's talking about your heart, it's not talking about that, that organ that pumps blood through your system. It's talking about your inner man, your core, the real you. And it says that we need to guard our heart. We need to protect our heart. And it says, keep your heart with all diligence. And the fact that he says with all diligence means that we have to put some effort into it. And the reason that we have to put some effort into it is because there's so much, everything around us is trying to steal that from us. Trying to dilute that truth so that it no longer has the same impact that once had in your life. You know, I like coffee. I like black coffee. Real coffee. But you know, there's people that dilute their coffee. And by the time they get done with it, you can hardly tell that it's coffee. I mean, it's still, in their eyes, coffee. But you can hardly tell it's coffee. It really doesn't even taste like coffee because there's so much cream and sugar and everything in it. It's still coffee. But if you really drink coffee, you don't know it's coffee unless somebody tells you it's coffee. Because it doesn't look like coffee. It doesn't taste like coffee. It might smell a little bit like coffee. But that's about the extent of it. But that's what the world wants to do with our philosophy our trust, our confidence in Jesus. It wants to get us to the place to where the truth, the Word of God, is so diluted in our life. We may still call ourselves Christians. The world may still call themselves Christians. But they don't look like Christians. Doesn't really smell like a Christian because there's a sweet aroma. There's nothing in the appearance that hardly resembles Christian any longer. Why? Because it's been diluted. You know, at Christmas time, we have to make a decision to focus, to think about, about Christ. To think about how it was a time where Jesus was born as a baby in that manger. Because you can go most places and you're not going to see a Christ in a manger. You're going to see, a, as we see here this morning, 
Santa Clauses and reindeer and you know every once in a while you see something godly <laughs> amen. amen I think I might have been deluded there <laughs> but see how he, that's what's happening it gets our attention off of what Jesus has truly done for us Proverbs well let me let me read the whole verse out of Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Out of it, out of your heart, springs the issues of life. Why does it spring out of our heart, and why do we need to keep it with all diligence? Proverbs 23.7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, what we have in our heart is our filter. It's the lens that we see through. Yeah, we th see through these eyeballs. But ultimately, the way that we see the world that we live in is through the eye of the Spirit. And that's what comes out of our heart. How do we see the world? What's in our heart is going to affect how we see the world around us. If we are going through life and we feel hopeless, we feel like there's no, no way out of the circumstances that we're in, no way out of the condition that the world is in today, that tells us our focus has been more on what Fox and CNN has to say than what the Bible has to say. Because we watch the news and it says it's hopeless. There's no way. We're heading for doom because they're looking to man. But look, we look beyond man. We look to Almighty God. We look to the completed works of Jesus. We look at the truths and the promises that we've received in the Word. And as we receive those truths and promises that we receive in the Word of God, it's a, it's a filter. It's how we see this world that we live in. Where others feel hopeless, we have hope. Where others are depressed, we feel wonderful because we know that there's absolutely nothing that can bring us down because we're in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible also says that, it says to be diligent but then it goes on and it says that it's a battle that we're involved in. It's a battle. And a battle implies there's a, there's a conflict. You know, it's, it's not easy to win a war if you don't get into the battle. It's not easy to win the fight if you don't get into the fight. And so the Bible says that we're in a battle. It tells us in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, in the 4th and the 5th verse. And it tells us what that battle is about. It's about our mind. It's about what we think. It's how, because how we think is how we're going to see things. And so the battle is about our mind. And it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty 
in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Then it begins to tell us what those strongholds are. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that acknowledges itself against the knowledge of God or exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And you say, oh, pastor, you know, I, I struggle with my thoughts. Well, join the club. That merely means you're still sucking air. You've heard me share this before, but one time an individual after one of Brother Hagin's meetings came up to him. And he said, Brother Hagin, Brother Hagin, I want you to pray for me. And he says, well, what do you want me to pray? He says, I want you to pray that the devil won't bother me anymore. And Brother Hagin says, oh, you want me to pray that you die? And he says, no, no, I don't want to die. And he says, that's the only way the devil isn't going to bother you anymore. What's he talking about? He's talking about the thought. He's talking about the temptation. He's talking about those things that are coming against us that, tr that are trying to bring us down. <clears throat> you know, we don't, we don't fall into temptation. We don't fall into sin. He, it comes through our mind. It comes through our thought process. We don't disobey God just because it happened. We choose it. And so in the same way that we used to choose to follow after the things of the world, now we have to choose to follow after the truths and the principles of the Word of God that He's given us. You see, this world that we, we look to and sometimes we admire so much, they don't see clearly. They don't see clearly. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says, But even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They're blinded. That's why they don't believe the word of God. They believe a lie. My devotion that I'm reading through this year is Brother Hagin's Faith Food. And uh, this morning as I was reading it, I thought, my, what Brother Hagin has to say this morning just really relates to what we're, what we're talking about here. And so I want to read this. This is Out of Faith Food, Brother Hagin's, for December 9th today. And the scripture passage is Psalms 8, 3 through 6 out of the Amplified, and it says, When I view and consider your heavens... The work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained and established. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of earthborn man 
that you care for him. Yet you've made him, but a little lower than God are heavenly beings. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hand. When I view and consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, do you ever just sit back and consider the works of God. You know, every time I start talking about my salvation experience, that Saturday morning I was born again in the basement of Vern Lewis's house with two other men. And I received Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and my life hasn't been the same since. And everybody kind of, hearing on in. But you know what? I like to consider it. I think about it all the time. Not from the standpoint that I want to go back there. But I don't want to go back to what I had before that. And you know, all along the way, God has done marvelous things for you and I. But how often... Do we take a moment? Do we stop and do we consider what our Jesus has truly done for us? And then this is what Brother Hagen wrote. Not, <clears throat> excuse me, God did not create man for death. Death, sin, sickness, hatred, revenge, and all such tragedies reflect conditions on earth that had no place in the original plan of the Creator. Man was created instead for joy, happiness, and peace. Man was designed for eternal fellowship with God. He was created in God's image and likeness, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He was created for joy and happiness and peace. He was created to give God pleasure, Revelations 4.11. God gave man a place in his creation, second only to himself, with dominion as far-reaching as the universe itself, Psalms 8, 3 through 4, through 6, and Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Adam was the master of himself, of creation, and of Satan. Adam did not have to yield to sin. He had a choice. We have a choice. God has done marvelous things in our midst. And in order to be equipped to make those choices, those decisions... We have to, as I said earlier, keep our heart with all diligence. And I think in keeping with something, we have a responsibility to maintain it. 
I mean, <clears throat> when I got born again some 45 years ago, that wasn't the end of it. I had to choose to maintain what had taken place in my life. Not that I was going to lose it, but I wanted to grow in it. And to do that, it required a degree, an element of diligence, a decision that I was going to grow in the things of God. And so then we have Romans 12, 2 and 3. And it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But you know, sometimes there's as much said in what's not said as what is said. It says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. But what's not said, which I believe is being said, don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought either. You are precious in the eyes of God. He loved you and me so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for your sins and my sins, to be the propitiation for our sins, that they might be forgiven, that they might be washed away, that they might be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Jesus did that for us. And in accomplishing that, he restored to us that authority, that dominion that belongs to us from the very get-go through Jesus, through God, when he created us. And so, no, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. You know, <clears throat> watching the uh, Heisman winner last night, you know what impressed me? You know, that he talked about his faith and his parents and his coaches and his linemen, because all of us know if it wasn't for the linemen, the quarterbacks could do nothing. Can I hear an amen from big guys? Amen. But you know what? He didn't stop there. He talked about the equipment people. He talked about the nutrition people. He talked about everybody along the way. Why? Because he didn't think more highly of himself than he ought. But you know, on the other side of it, he didn't think more lowly of himself either. Because he recognized that it was these individuals that helped him to reach his full potential. 
No, we don't think we're more highly of ourselves than we are. We don't think we're better than anybody else. But you know what? We don't think lowly of ourselves either because if we think lowly of ourselves, we think we're nothing but a poor, miserable sinner saved by grace. Well, we know we're either one or the other. You're either a poor, miserable savior or you, sinner, or you've been saved by grace. Because we've been saved by grace, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's not arrogance speaking, that's humility speaking. And we take and accept what God said about us. Even though we don't feel that way, we believe that we are who he says that we are. And because he says we can preach the gospel, we can preach the gospel. Because he says we can cast out devils, we can cast out devils. Because he says we can pray in other tongues, we can pray in other tongues. Because if we, he says if we pick up anything deadly, it's not going to harm us, it's not going to harm us. And because he says we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, we lay our hands on the sick and we expect them to recover. Because of who I am? Yes, because of who I am in Christ Jesus. Because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But you know, in order to be there, to do that, to believe that, we've got to be diligent. Be diligent to know and to accept what he said about each and every one of us as his sons, as his daughters, as his church, as his body which allows him to express himself here in the earth. And so that's who we are, and really, that's what we need to remember through this Christmas season. It isn't just simply be reminded of a baby that was born in a manger. It's that we're reminded of a Savior who came in the form of a man, was born to die for your sins and my sins, that we might represent God rightly in this earth, and that we might fulfill his plan and his purpose. In Jesus' name. And so we're going to seal this this morning by receiving Holy Communion. When we receive it, I once again want to remind you that communion isn't about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. That we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. But along with that, let's think about self. And let's think on what Jesus has done and what Jesus has accomplished for each and every one of us because it's, for, it's through him that we have life. It's through him that we have abundance. It's through him that we have health. It's through him that every one of our needs are met, not according to our riches, but according to his riches according to his rich blessings of grace that he pours out upon 
each and every one of us. And so if I can have the elders and ushers come forward at this time and begin to pass out the elements. Because these elements to us are a reminder to us of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. We're reminded of how it was his body that was broken so that our bodies might be whole. The word declares that by the stripes of Jesus we have been healed. And that's because of his broken body. The whipping that he received for us to make us whole and complete. When Jesus instituted Holy Communion, he said that as often as we receive it, we're to receive it in remembrance of him, in remembrance of his completed work. So this bread represents the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And as you receive it this morning, receive it in remembrance of Him, the body of Christ. Receive it in remembrance of Him. Then He also took the second element, which is the juice that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The Bible declares that where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Jesus' blood was shed for you and I to wash away our sin, to cleanse us, to make us whole. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, he forgave us our sin. But not only are our sins forgiven, but he washes away all the residue of our sin. I think oftentimes as Christians we're confident that our sins are forgiven. But oftentimes we still deal with the residue of sin. We deal with the guilt. We deal with the shame. We deal with a struggle in forgiving ourselves. But in and through Christ Jesus, all of that is taken care of. And that, that blood washes and cleanses us from sin and from all the defilement of that sin. 
And so this juice represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And as you receive it today, receive it in remembrance of Him. The blood of Christ shed for you. Receive it in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we thank you today for Jesus, who is not only the author but the perfecter of our faith that he continues to work within each and every one of us. That our lives might demonstrate to this world what a wonderful Father, what a wonderful Savior you are. Oh Holy Spirit, we thank you for living within us. We thank you for the wisdom that can only come through you, the guidance that can only come through you precious Holy Spirit we want you to have your way in our lives may we live a life of peace comfort and assurance knowing that you're in charge and so Father we give you all the praise all the honor and all the glory in the magnificent name of Jesus Amen